four forward, drift into the right a little. Tranquility base here. The Eagle has landed. Uh, it was real exciting, uh, Buzz, Neil, and Michael, when they landed. It was so happened I was playing in the Little League All-Star baseball game, and they stopped the baseball game. Somebody had a TV, and we all gathered around and watched them land on the moon. It was really exciting. Yeah, that was exciting. I was in tears. When I saw that thing landing, tears came to my eyes. It was awesome. I can remember when it took off and when the Apollo 11 took off, we were so excited. Besides that, we knew we was in a battle with the Russians to get there first, and there was a sense of nationalism, of yes, 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 we did. It was a very proud moment, I think, in history. Everybody was glued to the TVs. Yeah, and for me, I mean, I remember when I was young, I used to watch Buck Rogers on TV, you know, and we want, I wanted to be an astronaut. And then when you see it actually happening and unfolding in front of you, to see him actually land on the moon, I mean, something you've only seen from, from, from the sky, and actually have him land on and see it was just really, really awesome. And then you wanted, and you were, you were fascinated by actually what we, could, what we were doing by going onto another planet. It kind of made you feel like anything was possible. morning. Yes. Beautiful day. Glad you are here. I want to tell you real quick, that was Apollo, which one? 11. We went to the moon, Apollo 11. We're going to talk about a different Apollo mission today. But um, you get these little cards in your program, all right? Will you, will you pull that out? Let me tell you what this is. This is us partnering with you so you can have an incredible, incredible Mother's Day. And uh, what, we, what they're for is for you, if you're a mom, all right, one of these is designed for you then to invite your kids to come hang out with you here at Potential Church on Mother's Day. We got some really cool things that are going to be happening, some really cool giveaways that are going to be happening. So you can fill it out, write whatever you want to write, put your child's, you know, your kid's address. We'll put a stamp on it and we'll put it in the mail for you, okay? And if you got more than one child, children's, whatever, is uh, we got more cards in the lobby, okay? And then the other one, is if you have a mom. How many of you are a mom? How many of you have a mom? Right, so it's all of us, okay? So if you uh, are uh, a mom, and or you're a child, and you want to honor your mom, invite your mom to come, because like I said, we're going to have some great gifts for your mom. We're going to have, uh, I, I don't want to tell you all the secrets, but it's going to be, uh, or surprises, I don't guess secrets is the right word, but you can invite your mom. Tell her how awesome she is. Just fill it out. Put her, your mom's address and drop it in the bucket uh, out there in the lobby, and we'll mail it for you, all right? So maybe uh, if this teaching gets boring, you can fill this out, and uh, we'll take care of that. You know, this is an incredible weekend. This will be um, one of our lowest attended, if not the lowest attended weekends of all year, but it will have more to do about the future of Potential Church than any other weekend during the year. You know, the Bible teaches us that 
<clears throat> Jesus created man and woman. He created Adam and Eve. They came to planet Earth, and they did the one thing God told them not to do. Uh, they screwed up. And when they did, God immediately had a rescue mission. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 3. He came to planet Earth, put on skin, and lived a perfect life. And he put on our imperfect life. The fact that we have sinned, we've missed the bullseye of perfection. He put that on, and he paid the price on the cross, and we get to put on his perfection uh, when we trust Christ. That's why we get to spend, as Christ followers, eternity in heaven. Well, then God said that he would leverage us, you and I, the church, to let the world know about this good news, to let the world know that God did send a rescue mission, that we can make a difference. The Old Testament talks about this. Let me read a couple of verses to you. In Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30, it, God says, I looked for someone among them that would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap. Uh, but then he says he couldn't find anybody. That scripture has always kind of been in the back of my mind. God looked for someone to stand in the gap, but he couldn't find anybody. And then Isaiah says, in Isaiah 6, 8, he says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord. And what was the Lord asking? Who should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go? And, of course, Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. That's the responsibility. That's the mission of the church. And so I got to thinking this week, what if you and I were to actually uh, take on the, the attitude or the aptitude that those first Apollo missions had, especially Apollo 13? What if you and I were to declare that failure <clears throat> is not uh, an option? Gene Krantz was a flight director, and those were his words. Now, on April the 11th, 1970, three astronauts climbed upon the Saturn V rocket, which was like 30 stories high, the biggest rocket that has ever been made, even up to this day, and got prepared to go to the moon. Their names were Jim Lovell. He was married to Marilyn. They had four kids. There, Jack Swaggart, he didn't have any family. He was a bachelor. And then there was Jim Hayes. He was married to Patty. He had four kids. They were going on April the 11th at 1970 at 1.13 p.m. blast off. Do you know what time 1.13 is in military time? <clears throat> yeah, 13.13. So Apollo 13 was going to take off at 13.13. So they were just kind of, you know, testing, I guess, fate. And uh, everything went good for two days, 56 hours. Everything was smooth. And then they did a TV program, a live TV program so that the world could see them, you know, in no gravity and all that kind of thing. Nobody was watching because we had went to the moon two other times, and I guess people were kind of bored of it. But as soon as the television program was over, they asked them to stir their fuel tanks. And, well, this is what happened. Let's watch. It was after the broadcast, Jim, that, that Mission Control radios up, and they, and they asked you to do something as the crew that was fairly routine, involving one of the liquid oxygen tanks. Two tanks of supercooled liquid oxygen were the ship's most precious resource, providing both air and fuel. To get accurate readings from the tanks, Mission Controllers had to make sure the liquid didn't settle at the bottom. What did they ask you to do? It's sort of like a mush, this liquid oxygen. And so there's a fan down at the bottom of inside the tank and a little heater system. 
And so the question was, would you turn on the, the, the fan and the heater system and stir up the oxygen? And to accomplish that inside the spacecraft, what did you have to do, actually? Just flip a switch? Merely flip the switch. They were about 200,000 miles from Earth when Jack Swigert flipped the switch. The date, by the way, was April 13th. We'd like it to uh, stir up your cryo Seconds later, the men of Apollo 13 were fighting for their lives. Things were not so calm in mission control. As soon as we received this call, it seemed our data just went wild. It was screwy. And for about 60 seconds, it was literally chaos in this room. In those 60 seconds, it seemed that every controller at every console saw a problem with Apollo 13. Hey, flight, we've had a computer restart. Another controller says main bus underworld. Third one says antenna switch. It did not seem possible for so many things to go wrong at the same time. They thought it had to be a fault in their communications or their monitoring systems, not the spacecraft itself. We may have had an instrumentation problem, flight. I immediately thought, okay, it's a minor electrical problem. We'll work this when the shift's over. The astronauts knew it was much worse than that. They thought they'd been hit by a meteor. Fred Hayes called mission control 50 seconds into the crisis. We had a pretty large bang associated with the crisis warning now. In the first few minutes, there was uh, absolute disbelief. The controllers had never come face to face with a real problem that we didn't have any immediate answers for. Crucial minutes ticked by. Jim Lovell stared at his instrument panel. One oxygen tank gauge, the quantity gauge, read zero. And the other one, I could see the needle start to go down ever so slightly. And that's when I drifted over and looked out the side window. And I saw escaping at a high rate of speed, a gaseous substance from the rear of my spacecraft. The crisis was now in minute 14. I look to me, looking out the... Uh... Now, when you think about um, all that is happening, NASA realizes they got to do something. And if they're going to get these uh, men home to their families, and that's when Gene Krantz gets NASA together and he utters those, those very famous words, these. You're telling me you can only give our guys 45 hours? That brings them to about there. Gentlemen, that's not acceptable. Whoa, whoa, guys. Power is everything. Power is everything. Without it, they don't talk to us. They don't correct their trajectory. They don't turn the heat shield around. We got to turn everything off now. They're not going to make it to re-entry. The more time we talk down here, the more juice they wasted up there. I've been looking at the data for the past hour. Find out how to squeeze every amp out of both of these machines. I want this marked all the way back to Earth with time to spare. We never lost an American in space. We're sure not going to lose one on my watch. Failure is not an option. What if we were to have the same mindset? What if we as the church decided that the mission that God's given us, according to Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that we are to seek the lost, what if we decided, you know what, failure's not an option. We're going to do whatever it takes to accomplish that for which God created us. Well, we'd have to take on some of the same 
attributes that these Apollo astronauts had, that mission control had, and even really the world as, uh, as a whole. So I, I want us to look at that. I, I think we can learn something from them that we can apply to the mission that God's given you as a Christ follower. Me as a Christ follower, us as the body of Christ. So if we were going to do this, the first thing, I just kind of jotted down four of them. And if you want to pull out that outline, you can uh, write them down as well, follow along. The first thing we'd have to do is engage our emotions. Engage our emotions. You know, when that explosion happened 200,000 miles from Earth, a little over 50,000 miles to the moon, you know, just out there in the middle of the blackness of space, it didn't just affect the three astronauts that were on board Apollo 13. It impacted mission control. It impacted their family. It impacted their, uh, their friends. And um, this is what it felt like. The night of April 13th, Marilyn Lovell and her daughters returned home from mission control, where just minutes earlier they'd watched Jim and his crew on TV from outer space. Friends dropped in, astronaut Pete Conrad and his wife. And the phone rang. It was another friend who worked for NASA. And he said, well, Marilyn, I just want you to know that uh, all these different countries have offered to help, you know, in the recovery and whatever. I couldn't understand what he was talking about. And I said, Jerry, I said, have you been drinking? She no sooner hung up than another phone, a direct line to NASA, started ringing. And immediately Pete came out, and I can still see him standing across the room from me with eyes as large as saucers. And he said, Marilyn, we have to talk. He filled her in. They turned on the TV. Apollo 13, once the forgotten moon flight, suddenly the biggest story on Earth. Apollo 13, its power source is badly damaged, its mission to the moon ended, its astronauts under a strain more severe than any others have yet endured. The ship was crippled, leaking oxygen, the mission to the moon over. The three astronauts, one of them her husband, were probably doomed. I just couldn't believe what I was hearing, and at that moment the house was just filling with people. People didn't know what to say to me. Best friends, they couldn't say anything. And says Jim Lovell, he and Mission Control were not sure what to say to each other either. Now, when you think about the pain that they felt, why did they feel the pain? Well, it was personal, wasn't it? It was their father, it was their husband, it was their dad, it was their best friend, it was their co-worker, it was the world's heroes at the time. That's the, that's the reason that they felt that way. Well, the same thing is true with the mission that God's given us. If we're truly going to say, you know what, failure is not final, then you and I are going to have to take on the, the personal aspect of it. And with that, well, with that comes pain. I mean, here's the reality. Here's what Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. Its gate is wide. Many choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few will ever find it. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That, that, that's a scary verse as someone who's a Christ follower. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And he says in verse 22, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. You could add to that. Well, we went to church in your name. We worshiped in your name. But, verse 23, I will reply, I never knew you. 
Get away from me, you who break God's laws. See, I guess the question that I have for us is, are you and I willing to realize that our friends, our family, our husbands, our wives, our children, our parents, our co-workers are not just missing out on going to the Dairy Queen? That if they die without Christ, they're going to spend forever and ever 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 separated from God in a place Jesus called hell. And Jesus described hell as a place where the fire is never quenched, where the worm doesn't die, and where there is a gnashing of teeth. In other words, the, 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 there is the regret of a decision not made, the, uh, and there is the pain to not even be able to speak. Jesus says that's the reality of dying without Christ. Now, for you and I to, to, to make that personal, there's pain involved in that. When you look at your husband, when you look at your children, and you realize the direction that they're going, there's a pain because there's, a, there's an ownership in that, that God has given me a mission to impact that person's life. I don't know about you, but do you ever watch those commercials on television where they're uh, raising resources to feed the children? Now, Steph and I have supported several of those uh, children, like many of you, over the years. But it shows those children, they have bloated stomachs, you know, they're flies, and they're sick, and, and, and you know, they're, they're, they're so small, their arms and their legs. Can I tell you my greatest temptation is to turn the channel? Because as I continue to watch that, even though we're supporting some of those children, it just hurts to know that that's real. And I think when it comes to our spiritual lives, that's what some of us do. I mean, you, you realize that this weekend, there'll be half the attendance. You know why? Folks just turn the channel. I don't want to deal with the, the reality of the world. I don't want to deal with the way that makes me feel. And so I'll just turn the channel. If we're truly going to embrace that failure is not an option that what God called us to do, he's equipped us to do, he's empowered us to do, he's still on his throne, then you know what? I'm going to engage emotionally in this. I'm going to realize the reality of eternity in the lives of the people I know, and I'm going to follow what God has created me to do when it comes to impacting them in some way. What God has created us to do as the local church when it comes to impacting them. We've got to be willing to make it personal. And uh, we have to engage emotionally. But here's the second thing I jotted down, is if failure is not final, not only do our emotions have to engage, but our perseverance has to be predetermined. You know, each one of the Apollo astronauts knew that there was risk involved. They knew that there was great challenge. They knew that people had lost their life in the past and that they could lose their life as well going after and trying to accomplish the mission. Astronaut Gene Cernan was the last man to have his foot on the moon. He was the last man in the last uh, command module <clears throat> or lunar module that took off from the moon. And this year he came out with a movie about that experience. And in that movie, he and several other astronauts on other missions talk about that risk. And they talk about what they did in the face of that risk. Let's watch. knew going in that some people weren't going to make it.
we do everything we possibly can to make sure that it is as safe as we can possibly make it. But one of these days, uh, there are going to be some mistakes made, either in the system's design or are we on the ground, which result in an accident and, and maybe a fatal one. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report from ABC News. Top space agency officials are flying to Cape Kennedy tonight to begin the official investigation into what caused the flash fire that killed the nation's first three Apollo astronauts earlier tonight. Lieutenant Colonel Gus Grissom, 42, Lieutenant Colonel Ed White, 36, and Lieutenant Commander Roger Chaffee, 31, all died in moments, helplessly trapped inside their spacecraft. And I went home and uh, pulled in my driveway, still on the flight seat, cars all over the street. I dreaded the moment. Arlington, cold January day. I wasn't sure whether we were burying three of our colleagues or whether we were burying the entire Apollo program. The Apollo 1 fire changed us forever, and we've never forgotten it. In our business of spaceflight, risk is the price of progress. Those three astronauts, of course, were a part of Apollo 1. They lost their lives as well as many other astronauts. And the, the three gentlemen who aboard Apollo 13 knew that, and yet they still climbed upon that Saturn V rocket because they had predetermined that they were going to persevere. And if failure is not an option, you and I, as the body of Christ, have to predetermine that we're going to persevere, that no matter what the challenge might be in front of us, we're not going to give up. You know, it sounds a lot, those astronauts sound a lot like Paul. I think maybe if Paul lived you know, in the 1960s, he may have been an astronaut. Look what it says in Acts chapter 20. It says, in, Paul says, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. In other words, that's where God wants me to go to accomplish the mission of reaching people for Christ. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. What is that work? The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Think about that. Paul says, you know, I, I don't know exactly what's going to take place, but what God has nudged my heart about is that there are going to be challenges and there are going to be struggles and there are going to be difficulties, but I have predetermined, I've already decided that I'm going to persevere because my life's really not worth a whole lot if I don't accomplish that for which God made my heart beat. And so that's going to be my focus. What if you and I were to predetermine that? See, you probably know people, if you've hung out at church very long at all, you, you probably know people that you've talked to, and they'll say things like this. They'll say, you know, I used to be involved in a church. 
You know, I, I used to be there every week, or I was involved in a ministry. And then they'll tell you some story about, but I got my, I got hurt. And, and I got my feelings hurt, and somebody did me wrong, and, and it didn't work out. And so I, I don't even know, I, I don't even go anymore. They quit. See, it's important for all of us to understand that you are going to get your feelings hurt. You know why? Because we're all people, and we bring our peopleness wherever we go. You will get your feelings hurt. You will be disappointed. You will get discouraged. You do have an enemy who roams to and fro, the Scripture says, looking to who he can devour, steal, kill, and destroy. So this is not going to be easy. There will be a challenge. That's why we have to predetermine. I'm not quitting. Listen, it does, because listen, I didn't start because of you, therefore there's nothing you can do that will cause me to quit. I started because he called me, and as long as he's on his throne, I will continue to persevere in what he has called me to do. we got to own that. You know, I, I've been here for 16 years, and I uh, noticed something. These first three rows here, you know, along the auditorium, the first three there, the first three over here, you, is... There have been a lot of different people that sit in those rows. People normally sit in those rows. Number one, they're fired up, they're excited, or maybe, well, somebody made them, okay? Uh, or they like to sleep. I don't know why people sleep in the first three rows, but they tend to do that. But most of the time, it's because God's doing something in their life. Most of the time, it's because they're anticipating well, what's going to happen. They're excited about what's taking place. They want to model that kind of thing. And yet... There's been so many different people because they just quit somewhere. They were excited at one time. They were pumped up at one time. They were engaged at one time, but, but they're not there anymore. Oh, they have a good reason in their mind. They, they have some kind of rationale. But the reality is failure is not an option. If we're going to grab a hold of that, if we're going to determine that God is who he said he was, he created me to accomplish the mission, then I'm just, it's not an option. The question really isn't whether or not we will succeed. The question, here's the real question is, will you quit? Will, will the pastors, right? Pastors quit every, every week. They always have a good reason. You'd be amazed at the number, thousands of pastors each month quit. Paul predetermined. I'm going. These astronauts understood it didn't matter what happened in the mission before. They were going to get on that rocket. And if you and I could dare to do the same thing, I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. Doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter what takes place. Can I tell you why most people quit? Most people quit because... The longer you're a Christ follower, the more you want it to be about you. You, you realize I've never had anybody come to me in the 30 some or almost 30 years that I've been in ministry and complain about the mission, reaching people for Christ. You know what people complain about? They complain about the music. They, they complain about a ministry that they want that's not happening. See, the longer we're Christ followers, the greatest temptation we will face is making the church about us. It's forgetting the mission. That's why churches meet all over the world today. And you know what the world does? They just yawn. 
They're not impacted. They're not even aware. Not because we're not powerful, but because, well, somewhere along the way, we just got it distracted. So what if we were to engage our emotions? What if we were to persevere, to predetermine that we're going to persevere? And then the third thing I jotted down is that our intensity has to be increased. You know, Apollo 13 exploded 200,000 miles from Earth. And mission control and all the scientists and all the experts knew that they were going to have to do something about it. They were going to have to get creative, and they were going to have to get serious. France knew they all had to start making some decisions, and fast. We were in survival mode, and we had to kick in and get going as a team to help this crew out. The first problem, oxygen. The command module was going to run out in a matter of minutes. They had to figure out a way to save Lovell, Hayes, and Swigert fast. The only option was one they'd played out in simulations, but never expected to do. Now they start looking at the lunar module. Did you ever think you'd have to use that module as a lifeboat? Never thought I'd have to use that as a lifeboat. The lunar module, the spidery-looking craft they'd planned to land on the moon and then leave behind. It had its own supply of air, water, and battery power. The lunar module was so fragile, you could punch a hole through the skin in it. But we had to live off of it because it had oxygen. What the lunar module could not do was re-enter the Earth's atmosphere. It could not get them home. So even though the command module was crippled, they had to save whatever air and power it had left. One hour now into the crisis, it was a race. Power down the command module before its batteries ran out. Power up the lunar module before oxygen ran out. They'd all trained for years, but never for this. The command module's computers contained critical data the crew had to transfer to the LEMS computers, fast. And they had to do it the old-fashioned way. So when people look at their BlackBerry today or their iPhone, they're holding something in their hand that has far more computing capabilities than the spacecraft you were flying in outer space with. Oh, yes. Jack Swigert called me all the numbers, and I wrote them down, and then we had a, a conversion table for the lunar module, and I did the arithmetic to get the new numbers, and then I called mission control. I said, would you check my, uh, my uh, arithmetic for me, please, to make sure I'm not making sure a mistake? You're afraid to make a mistake here, well, I, a mistake gonna, will cost you your life. That's right. I'm using all the assets I have, and that included the control center. They got into the lunar module with moments to spare, but now another decision loomed. The intensity. I love that part where he says uh, he took, you know, all the things that were available to him and then leveraged them so that they could get back that intensity. You know, they all had it. Why? There was a lot at stake. I wonder if you and I were to have that same kind of intensity about the mission that God's given us. I, you know, I think intensity breeds intentionality. If you're intense about something, you're intentional about it. I mean, you're focused on it. They didn't come to NASA that week just like every other week because three men's lives were at stake. Well, when you and I personally and emotionally engage in the fact that people without Christ who die spend eternity separated from him, that breeds an intensity that brings an intentionality, which leads me to kind of ask the question is, well, just this morning, how intentional were you? I mean, did you come to church with an intentionality, knowing that God was going to bring people to this place who were the end of the rope? 
And the reason he was going to bring them here is because you have the gifts and the talents that he put in you to minister to them. I mean, did you come and intentionally shake folks' hands or pat them on the back or serve in a ministry? Or did you just rush here and hope that the teaching spoke to you? Hope that somehow it helped you out. It's really been all about you this morning. Where you sit, where you park, what time you get here, what time you leave. It's been all about you. See, that's not intensity. NASA didn't come to work in what the time that was best. They came to work when they, as soon, when they needed to, right? Because there was something hanging in the balance. If failure is not an option, then you and I, our intensity will bring about an intentionality. What, what about this week? Right? We're Christ followers. We believe the Bible. The Bible says people without Jesus die and spend eternity separated from him in hell. Did you live intentionally this week? Did you share your faith with the coworkers? I mean, did you love on and encourage and actually tell them about Jesus, the, 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 cup, the, the, the guy that works next to you that's having a difficult marriage or the people that are struggling with their finances or maybe they just got bad news from the doctor or maybe one of their kids made a bad decision. I know we all have a lot going on this week, but were you intentional? Were you intentional when it came to your family? I mean, how intentional were you and I this week? Because intensity always breeds an intentionality. I think it breaks God's heart that so many of us come to church. We go to church, but we're not the church. God wants us to be the church, not just go to church. They had to get creative, right? Intensity brings creativity. It's like, I got to help people experience Christ no matter what it takes. And we live in a world where they're not necessarily just saying, hey, tell me, tell me. So we got to get creative. The same thing happened on Apollo 13, right? They're in the lunar lander. It was made for two people for two days. Now there are three people in there, and it's got to last for four days. Carbon monoxide started to build up, and uh, the boys at NASA had to get creative. This is what it looked like. Gene, we have a situation brewing with the carbon dioxide. We had a CO2 filter problem on the lunar module. Five filters on the limb. Which are meant for two guys for a day and a half. So I told the doctor. They're already up to eight on the gauges. Anything over 15 and you get impaired judgment, blackouts, the beginnings of brain asphyxia. What about the scrubbers on the command module? They take square cartridges. The ones on the limb are round. <laughs> Tell me this isn't a government operation. This just isn't a contingency we've remotely looked at. Those CO2 levels are going to be getting toxic. Well, I suggest you gentlemen invent a way to put a square peg in a round hole. Rapidly. Okay, people, listen up. People upstairs, handed us this one, and we got to come through. We got to find a way to make this fit into the hole for this, using nothing but that. Let's get it organized. Okay, okay let's build a filter. Better get some coffee going, too, someone. You know what? They did it. They figured out how to make uh, a square peg fit into a round hole and save the astronaut's life. It reminds me of the story in Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, there is one man who is paralyzed. There are four men that want to get the one man to Jesus because he can do something about it. 
And so the four men go and get the one man who's paralyzed. And the Bible says they pick him up and they bring him to the house where Jesus is. But when they get there, Scripture says the house is so full of people that they can't get him to Jesus. But they're like, you know what? Failure's not an option here. The only hope this man has is Jesus. And so they get creative. They become very intentional as a result of their intensity. And they climb up on the roof, they tear a hole in the roof, and then they lower him down before Jesus. And Jesus did what Jesus always does. He spoke into that man's life. They determined failure was not an option. What if you and I did the same? What if we were just as intentional? What if we had just as much intensity when it came to our spouses and our children and our, our best friends and our co-workers and the world in, in which we live? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, the wisdom writer says in chapter 9 and verse 10, whatever you do, do it well. But when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. Colossians 3.23 says, so no matter what your task is, work hard. Always do your best because it's, it's for the Lord, right? You're the Lord's servant, not as men. If failure is not an option, our emotions will have to be engaged. Our perseverance will have to be predetermined. Our intensity will have to be increased. And then the last thing that I jotted down is that our priorities will have to be aligned. I, I wrote this in my journal. The priority of the mission will be determined by the, will determine, excuse me, the unity of the crew. Let me say it again. The priority of the mission will determine the unity of the crew. For NASA, the mission changed. It was to land on the moon. But of course, once the explosion took place, it was to get those men back home. Okay, people, listen up. I want you all to forget the flight plan. From this moment on, we are improvising a new mission. We'll, Sorry, we'll get somebody to look at that. How do we get our people home? They are here. We turn them around, straight back, yes. direct aboard. No, sir. We get them on a free return trajectory. It's the option with the fewest question marks for safety. I agree with Jerry. Use the moon's gravity slingshot them around. No, the LEM will not support three guys for that amount of time. It barely holds two. I mean, we've got to do a direct abort. We do an about face, we bring the guys right home right now. Get them back soon, no, absolutely. We don't even know if the Odyssey's engine's even working, and if there's been serious damage to this spacecraft... They blow up and they die. That is not the argument. We're talking about time, not whether or not these guys... I'm not going to sugarcoat this for you. hold it. Let's hold it down. Let's hold it down, people. The only engine we've got with enough power for a direct abort is the SPS on the service module. What Lovell has told us, it could have been damaged in an explosion. So let's consider that engine dead. We light that thing up, could blow the whole works. It's just too risky. We're not gonna take that chance. But the only thing the command module is good for is re-entry, so that leaves us with the LEM, which means free return trajectory. And once we get the guys around the moon, we'll fire up the LEM engine, make a long burn, pick up some speed, and get them home as quick as we can. Gene, I I'm wondering what the, what the Grumman guys think about this. We can't make any guarantees. We designed the limb to land on the moon, not fire the engine out there for course correction. Well, unfortunately, we're not landing on the moon, are we? I don't care what anything was designed to do. I care about what it can do. So let's get to work. Let's lay it out, okay? I love that intensity. 
It's not what it doesn't matter. The mission has changed. And since the mission has changed, everything's going to align underneath that mission. Now, as a church, our mission never changes. We do know what our mission is. We talked about it last week. Remember, Jesus said, God, the Father sent me, and just as he sent me, I now send you. And then we asked the question, well, what did God send Jesus to do? Jesus answered that question himself in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Look what he says. Look what he says. For the Son of Man came to do what? Who? The lost, yeah? He came to seek and to save the lost. Well, we can't save folks, but we can seek. We are to seek the lost. That is our mission. That's what he left us here to do. That's what he created us to do, is to seek those who are lost. That's the mission. So what happens is, is then we have to align ourselves around the mission. Do you know why the church is ignored in the world? Do you know why much uh, smaller groups have a much greater impact, even here in the United States, than the church, which 70% of Americans would say they believe in Christ? 75%. You, you know why? I'll tell you why. It's this reason right here. Alignment or disunity. Churches have a hard time getting along. See, and Jesus himself said that if the house is divided, it can't stand. And so churches all over the world have a really hard time getting along. And you know why we have a hard time getting along? Because we forget the mission. See, you and I might not agree about everything, but as long as the mission has the same priority in our lives, then you, we're going to be able to work together. See, that's why I said that earlier. The priority of the, of the mission will determine the unity. In other words, if the priority of the mission is top priority in your life, and it's like 10th in my life, we're going to have problems. See, that's the kind of problems you have in churches. People forget the mission. They start to complain. You know what? We need to have this kind of Bible study because it meets my need. We ought to have this kind of ministry because it meets my need. You know, my family. You're right. You hear it all the time. I'm not. I, I need to be fed. I'm not getting fed. It needs. We need to do this because then I could be fed. We need to do this because then my kids would be fed. And we need to do this over here because that would better help for my family. And Jesus said, listen, no, no, no. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is not about you. The church has become a country club because, well, it's become our mission. Our mission has become to gather together and meet one another's needs. And millions of dollars are spent in order to meet the need of the believer. But God didn't leave us here for that. God left us here, according to the scripture, to reach the lost. That's what it says. That is our mission. Now, the, I've thought about this because I've been in ministry now almost 30 years. You know who the biggest obstacle is to reaching lost people? Long, long-term Christians. See, the longer I'm a believer, the less unchurched people I tend to know and the more self-focused I get. And I forget what it's like to not have any hope. I forget what it's like to wonder, does God uh, care? And I start thinking about what I need. And what would really help me do better? Is it those things bad? No, no, no. Those things are all fine as long as they equip us to accomplish the mission. 
See, the mission is to reach lost people and then all these other things. The Bible doesn't say that we're to gather in, you know, uh, Sunday school, old school term or small groups. The Bible doesn't say we have, we're supposed to do that. It says we need to study the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that we need to have student ministries or children's ministries. It doesn't say that we need, should have a preschool. It doesn't say that we should have a band. The Bible doesn't say any of those things. Those are all things that we do so that we can leverage them to accomplish the mission. It's always about the mission. So if you've been hanging out here for the last couple of weeks, I've tried to be as clear as I can about what the mission is. And as we go into the 2015-2016 season, what tools we're leveraging to accomplish that mission. The first one is to reach the next generation. It's the, as I told you, we have a school here. We have a ministry for preschool students and children that happens through the week, happens on the weekend. And then we're starting the college in the fall. Why are we doing that? We're doing that to leverage that so that we can reach the next generation. Because if we reach the next generation, we change the world. I mean, if failure's not an option, if we truly want to see the world impacted, and when somebody comes a Christ follower, it impacts their family, it impacts their children, it impacts the hungry, it impacts the hurting, it impacts the sick, because Christians, Christ followers, minister to all of those people. So one of the tools is to reach the next generation. And in order to do that, we have to, here at Cooper, we have to remodel the facility. That facility over there that we use for that's never been remodeled. It's decades old. We have to remodel that so that it's ready for the college, so that it can be used <clears throat> for the student ministry. And we have to update technology. Now, it's not going uh, to, and I may say it like this, because technology updated enough so that we can be effective what we're called to do. And I've shared with you, that's about $350,000 over the next 12 months in order to do that. The second tool that we want to leverage to accomplish the mission is uh, new media platforms. I believe with all my heart that you and I, as Christ followers, will be held accountable and responsible for 2016. In other words, the technology that we have today. Paul used a ship. That was a technology that was available to him. We have technology available to us. And I don't believe that when we stand before God and, and God says, well, what did you do with your life? And we're like, well, you know, it was just so expensive. I don't think God's going to go for that. Because if God is the creator of all, then technology is there to be leveraged to reach people for the mission for Christ. And so uh, while it used to be TV and we want to continue to, you know, impact that ministry and expand that ministry, but now it's, it's Amazon Kindle and it's uh, Netflix and it's YouTube. We don't want to be behind in those things. We want to be ahead in those things. All those things can be leveraged to accomplish the mission, to reach people for Christ. And then when we launch campuses or churches in those areas, there's already a group of people to see it happen. And then the third thing is, well, it's to launch campuses because when we go into a community and launch a campus all of these things that we talked about are then leveraged in that community to reach people for Christ it's not about being big it's about being effective 
We just wanted to be big. We just built something bigger here. We'd go out and we'd buy, you know, 100 acres and we'd build a giant building and we'd all sit around and think about what an incredible thing that we did. But the mission is not to be big. The mission is to be effective, which is to reach people for Christ. And what we feel nudged to do in this next season is to do that through launching campuses. It's been effective in the past and I believe it'll be effective in the future. In Hollandale, our campus in Hollandale, talk to Pastor Neil who pastors that uh, campus. He's very excited about going across the county line into Miami-Dade. We have learned some things from the past. They're already getting groups together to be able to go down there. Maybe you would like to be a part of that. And then, of course, you know, as the groups come together and as we develop leadership and start meeting and then start looking for a facility. And then here at Cooper City, where when it comes to the students and the children, we're just out of space if we want to continue to reach people. And so we've talked about there are 15 to 20,000 people who call Potential Church home that live somewhere between 15 and 20 miles away. And we want to find a place uh, somewhere between 8 and 20 miles from here and remodel a Walmart or a Target or a sports authority or, or, or whatever it takes. And it'll be as, uh, as nice or probably nicer because it'll be newer than this place. It'll be similar in seating. So then you've got two campuses. We'd like to move 500 to 1,000 of you fine folks to that campus, which provides room here and provides room there and allows us to continue to do the mission for which we were called, which is to reach people for Christ. If failure is not an option, then we align ourselves behind that. And I believe that it doesn't matter who gets elected president this year. It doesn't matter what the terrorist design and build up. It doesn't even matter which direction the market goes. God's bigger than all of those things. I believe that no matter what challenges we face in 2017, just as now NASA faced challenges when it came to Apollo 13, that this could be our finest moment and our best year. Copy that. Parachute situation, the heat shield, the angle of trajectory in the typhoon. There's just so many variables I'm a little I know what lost. the problems are, Henry. This could be the worst disaster NASA's ever experienced. With all due respect, sir, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. One minute and 30 seconds to end of blackout. Entering ship has ever taken longer than three minutes to emerge from blackout. This is the critical moment for the heat shield hold, for the command module survive the intense heat of re-entry. If it doesn't, there'll only be silence. Mommy, you're squishing me. I'm sorry, sweetie. That's three minutes. We are standing by for acquisition. Odyssey, Houston, do you read me? Odyssey, this is Houston, do you read? The expected time of reacquisition, the time when the astronauts were expected to come out of blackout, has come and gone. But all any of us can do now is just listen and hope. We're about to learn whether or not that heat shield, which was damaged, as you remember, by the explosion three days ago, has withstood the inferno of re-entry. 
Houston, do you read? that was a part of that realized that forever. You know, those astronauts, even if they're Christ followers, are not going to get any kind of reward in heaven for being an astronaut. But did you know the Bible says that when you reach people for Christ, that Jesus will give you a crown. There is an opportunity to be a part of something forever change lives and forever change the world. In just a moment, I'm going to give all of us the opportunity to be a part of what you've been praying for. I thought this week, you know, how do we make uh, or give opportunity for this moment to be holy? Now, what the Apollo missions did is when they went to the moon on the leg of the lunar or uh, lunar lander, they, they had these metal plates they said, you know, we come in peace. And it was signed by the astronauts and signed by uh, the president. The last one said, you know, this is our last exploration. And so what we did is we made some, uh, some plaques that will become plates for the next generation, for the new campuses, for the new media platforms that will hang on those campuses or we'll put, you know, in our student building as a reminder. And then... At each station here, we have stations up there in the balcony, all right? Um, it, it has our logo, Temple Centurion, protect, proclaim, and promote the vision. And then there's a place to sign where you can say, you know what, I'm, I'm all in. 
And so in a moment, I'm going to pray. And at the end of that prayer, we're going to take our, our envelopes and we're going to go to one of those stations and give them our envelope or drop it in the basket or whatever. And then we're going to sign the sheet. And, and some way, we haven't figured out yet that we're going to, you know, include that in some way with these plaques or uh, I'm not sure how we're going to do that. But And you know what? That's not just about you being rewarded. It's not just about you seeing your name. It's about the next generation seeing your name and being inspired by the fact that somebody cared about them, that somebody invested in them. Now, I shared last weekend, and I think it's important for you to know that our staff team here led the way last week. I challenged them. I said, we got to lead the way. We can't ask others to do what we're unwilling to do, and we're certainly not going to use other people's money to help the world. We're going to be a part of this. And, and those, I think it was 43 people, if I remember right, 47 people committed uh, $65,000, which... We're looking for a million and a half dollars above our tithe, above our uh, regular giving over the 12 months, and 500,000 this weekend. That's our goal this weekend. They gave 65,000, so above their tithe. So that's a little over 6%. I told you last weekend that Stephanie and I, above our regular giving, above our tithe, we're going to give 7,500. And I challenge you to do that. Some of you can give more than that. Some of you, maybe it's less. But God doesn't hold you responsible for what you can't do. He holds you responsible for what you can do. You want to engage in this. And I'll tell you the reason why. Is last night, Saturday night, we had our largest offering ever. It's $150,000. And here's the reason. Yeah, here's the reason. <clears throat> here's the reason you want to be a part of it. This is a historic weekend. And on historic weekends, God does historic things. You don't want to miss being a part of this weekend. This weekend in the future will be used to challenge the next generation to care about the next generation. And you don't want to just say, I was there. You want to say, I was part. I was involved. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your head. to prepare if you haven't prepared already. This is the way we're going to receive our, our offering, our regular offering, then of course our, our, um, our tithe and then our regular offering our, about the vision, about the mission. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing and as we do, I invite um, you in the balcony to, uh, do, do we have locations up there in the balcony? locations in the balcony? Does anybody know? Yes? All right. And then here on the floor, there are locations. So you don't have to wait in a long line. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be a part of accomplishing your mission. Somebody did that for me. They sacrificed they gave, they cared. It's forever changed my life, life of my family. May this weekend change our lives and then impact the world. In Jesus' name.
Let's stand and let's respond.